Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. The origin of the term kingdom of God is found in the Hebrew Bible, that 77% of our Bible that we rather mistakenly call the Old Testament. When Jesus came preaching the gospel of salvation, the gospel which he called the gospel about the kingdom of God, he was adopting a term which was well known to his contemporaries. In fact, the term kingdom of God really summed up the whole thrust of God's revelation in the Hebrew Bible. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve sold out to the devil and were completely fooled by his tricks into disobeying God, the one God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, initiated a restoration program, a kingdom program. God set in motion what we might call Operation Kingdom. It has been God's intention from the start to restore Edenic and Paradise conditions on this planet. One of the greatest mistakes one can make in studying the Bible is to suppose that God is interested in taking disembodied souls off our planet. The very opposite is true. God's intention is to re-establish peace and prosperity, sound government, and paradise conditions on a renewed earth. It is the planet Earth with which God and his salvation program deals. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, they're going to inherit the land. Matthew 5 and verse 5. Throughout the Old Testament, God has a plan going by which he promises the land, the renewed earth, or the kingdom of God. And these are alternative ways of speaking of the same thing. He promises the land, the earth, and the kingdom as a possession to his faithful, as a permanent possession. That contractual arrangement made between God and the human race was actually made between God and Abraham as representing the head of the new creation. Abraham, you see, believed in faith in God's land program. God, in fact, is the greatest landowner of all, and he promised to make Abraham a landowner on a grand scale in perpetuity. What God promised to Abraham was, we may say, summed up in a two-pronged message, the seed and the soil. That's to say, a distinguished descendant, the seed of Abraham, and the soil being the permanent ownership of the land. God took Abraham out of Babylon, out of a pagan city. He asked him to be willing to give up those things which are nearest and dearest to our heart, his country, his circle of friends, his relatives, and so on, to pull up his roots and move in faith to a land which God would show him. May I point you to a key scripture in this regard found in the 17th chapter of Genesis. I might say in passing, however, that this theme of the seed and the soil, the distinguished descendant of Abraham, and the promise of a land holding in perpetuity, the soil, that theme runs like a golden thread, not only throughout the book of Genesis, but throughout the first five books of the Bible, and from there on throughout the rest of the Bible. The Bible story, if you would like to sum it up in an easy concept, is the story of how God is going to restore peace to the earth in his kingdom. It's the story of how he's going to do it 
through the distinguished descendant of Abraham, namely Jesus Christ, the king and the kingdom forms the story around which the whole of the Bible narrative revolves. And the king and the kingdom, of course, are the equivalent of the seed and the soil. Let me invite you to request from us our free article on the covenant made with Abraham. But for the moment, I want to point you to one key passage in regard to this famous contract made between the God of Abraham and Abraham, the father of the faithful, as Paul calls him in Romans 4, verse 11. In the 17th chapter of Genesis, we read the following. Now, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him. As for me, God said, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you are going to be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you throughout their generations, as an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. In that famous passage in Genesis 17, 1 through 8, we have a wonderful summary of God's whole grand design the drama that is now being enacted on the stage of human history, beginning with this contractual promise made to Abraham that he would receive the land in perpetuity and that he would be the father of a multitude of descendants and in particular to a distinguished descendant who in Galatians 3 and verse 16 is called Jesus Christ, the one whom we believe to have been Jesus of Nazareth, the promised Messiah, the distinguished seed. But you see, the seed is not the only part of God's promise to Abraham. God's promise also includes, and most importantly, the land as a perpetual possession. Genesis 17, verse 8, in the New Revised Standard Version, reads as follows, And I will give to you, Abraham, and to your offspring after you, the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan, for a perpetual holding, and I will be their God. There you have the two elements of God's great contractual promise made to Abraham. Abraham is to be an alien in the land in which he's residing, but he's going to receive that land eventually as a perpetual holding. Genesis 17 and verse 8. Now that promise of the land of Canaan in perpetuity runs as a golden thread throughout the history of Israel. It was conditioned, of course, on obedience. Abraham obeyed God, and therefore he's a candidate to receive the land forever as an everlasting possession and inheritance. The Israelite people failed often to obey God. For that reason, God expelled them from the land which he'd promised to them and their fathers, 
He expelled them and sent them off into captivity a number of times. In the future, however, God has promised to restore his faithful people to the land because God's promise to Abraham is unconditional. Abraham believed God, he obeyed God, and therefore the land as an inheritance is due to Abraham forever and ever. Now you may say, what has this to do with me as a Christian? I'm not a Jew. The point is simply this, that Abraham was a Christian before Christ. He is the father, the spiritual father of the Christian people. Abraham is described in Romans 4 as a believer, and in Romans 4.11 he's described as the father of the faithful. Romans 15 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ came to confirm the promises made to Abraham. The promise, that is, of the land in perpetuity and of multiple descendants and, of course, the one distinguished descendant, Jesus the Christ. Now, did Jesus indeed confirm that promise of the land forever? Well, of course, he did. In Matthew 5 and verse 5, Jesus stated, in the clearest terms, an absolute confirmation of the Abrahamic covenant. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, of the disciples, of the true disciples. They're going to have the land as their possession. Matthew 5, verse 5. In the Abrahamic covenant, however, there was also a royal element. We read in Genesis 17 and verse 6 that kings were going to come forth as seed of Abraham. Did you know that the Christians are the promised kings? They're the kings who are going to rule in the kingdom of God with Christ. There's a royal element in the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus, of course, is the distinguished king, the one supreme ruler, the Messiah, but he shares his kingdom with his faithful drawn from all the different ethnic groups. And so the kings who come as the spiritual descendants of Abraham are the kings who will rule in the kingdom with Jesus, and those are the Christians. Matthew 5 and verse 5 and Revelation 5 and verse 10 combine with beautiful clarity the two principal concepts of the gospel and the promise made to Abraham. Matthew 5 verse 5 promises the land as a perpetual inheritance or possession for the faithful. And Revelation 5 verse 10 says that the Christians of all the nations have been constituted a kingdom of priests. Kings and priests, in other words, and as that text says, they're going to reign as kings upon the land or upon the earth. And so the land promise then implies kingship. When you possess the land, you become a king in that land and you rule in that land. The promise of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, centers on this principal golden thread of the covenant promise made to Abraham and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who shares his kingdom with those of us who believe in Messiah and his gospel concerning the kingdom. Do you remember that at the Last Supper, Jesus promised the apostles positions of rulership in the coming kingdom? You are the ones, he said to the apostles, who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has covenanted me a kingdom, and there's the kingdom or the land covenanted by the Father on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant, the land promise, in perpetuity, just as my Father has covenanted me a kingdom, I covenant with you that you may eat and drink at my table 
in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones to administer the twelve tribes of Israel. There we see Jesus as an exponent of the Abrahamic covenant. Jesus knew that as Messiah he was the distinguished seed of Abraham to whom the promise of the land had been made in perpetuity, the promise of the kingdom. Jesus shares that kingdom, that land, with his followers and promises that the meek will indeed inherit the earth and rule in the land or the earth as kings with the Messiah. Revelation 5 and verse 10. There are other verses, of course, in the book of Revelation which show how this Abrahamic promise of rulership in the kingdom comes to fulfillment. In Revelation 2, verse 26, Jesus said, To the one who overcomes and who keeps my deeds to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken in pieces, as I also have received the same authority from my Father. There in a nutshell is the Abrahamic and the Davidic promise come to fulfillment as it will be in the future when Jesus establishes the kingdom of God on the earth. I have written a book on this issue of the kingdom of God. It's entitled The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament. We invite you to call us at the telephone number to be given at the end of this program, and we'd like to send you a copy of your personal Bible study at home. In addition, we have an article on the Abrahamic Covenant, the covenant made between God and Abraham in the book of Genesis. Or you might like to request from us a free tape of the program you've been listening to. We invite you to join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.